welcome back after much delay to the Not Buff Film Buff podcast. Uh, my name is Wes Skinner. Here, as always, with me is Josh Lapierre. And today we are going to talk about some horror movies for Halloween. Uh, this is very much a kind of impromptu uh, last second podcast, but we decided we hadn't done anything in a little while uh, and we would release something before going back to our original plan, which was James Bond, which kind of got held up just due to schedules and whatnot uh, and life as it is. Um, But eventually we'll release an extended version of that whole podcast, our whole series, breaking down each and every James Bond movie. But for now in November, Hopefully, like mid-November, we're going to be releasing uh, kind of one big mega episode where we'll talk about kind of give a quick breakdown on how we feel about each movie uh, and our final uh, review for No Time to Die, which we waited so eagerly for. And uh, we're really excited we did. So um, moving on, uh, today we'll get some horror stuff out of the way. We're going to talk about uh, this is something I kind of I'm really glad we did, actually, Josh, because I... As you know, I'm a big horror buff, and I know that even though you're not shocking. a fan of the absolutely <laughs> shocking, and, and even though you're not a fan of the genre in general, I know you have a big attachment to like classic monster movies and whatnot. Oh hell yeah! Um, so I thought this would be a fun one to talk about, and we haven't had like kind of just a loose conversation. Like obviously, we'll be doing a ranking and like mini reviews of our stuff. We're each going to go over our top ten horror films. Um, but I thought it'd be fun just to kind of overall just talk about our thoughts on the genre. I have some discussions about sort of where horror is nowadays and where uh, where maybe it's going in the future and how horror, like most genres, kind of repeats itself in trends and patterns. And um, yeah, so Josh, why don't you start, give a breakdown of sort of your history with horror movies and, and kind of uh, what some of the first ones you saw were and how they had an impact on you. All right. Um so personally not a huge horror guy i absolutely adore like monster movies and that side because growing up whenever halloween rolled around we would watch monster movies like the classic universal like the wolfman shockingly i've never seen dracula or frankenstein i saw frankenstein back in high school when i was good decade ago at least it feels like but yeah i grew up on like the godzilla series king kong so for me, I never really got into the horror horror side. I've gotten into like the monsters and the things that go bump in the night. And so I've slowly, slowly, but surely have branched into more horror movies, you know, some much to my, you know, disappointment because of uh, having to watch Midsummer. But, you know, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, fuck that movie. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so for me. The real earliest like horror horror I remember seeing um, was actually with my good friend Dakota. Um, we watched uh, the very first Halloween together because he is a it's like everyone I know is obsessed with horror. It feels like except for myself and he's obsessed with horror. So he wanted to show me the very first Halloween. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm down for that. And honestly, the first Halloween is one of my favorites. But yeah, some of my oldest childhood memories of monster movies and horror is uh, seeing the original Tremors way too young. I was like seven when I saw that movie and I used to have nightmares of graboids coming up and eating me. So that was always fun. Um, some of my favorites were from the 1950s, like uh, The Thing. No, not. I have seen the original, but that's not, not the one I meant to say. Um, them, that is an all time favorite of mine about the giant ants. 
um, birthed by radiation, kind of like one of my favorite monsters. <laughs> um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, easily one of my top favorites as well, which has a tie-in with James Bond, so can't go wrong there. Um, but yeah, so for me, horror's never really been my genre. It's just giant monsters, and honestly, giant monsters can be scary. Well, it's it's kind of funny you say that because listening to you talk about it and you're like, oh, horror is not really my genre. But then you're like dropping some of the biggest names in horror <laughs> ever. You know, I think I think it's fair to say that, you know, after the some of the big silent era horror films like, um, you know, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Nosferatu, um, you had these very like surreal, very visual um, horror films, kind of the next big wave started in the early thirties with Frankenstein and, and all the universal films. So, Wolfman. I mean, I, it's, it's fair to say at a certain point, those really dominated what the definition was for horror. And I think horror Definitely. was a little more singular then because eventually it would get very, very quickly after the thirties, it would sort of become a lot with a lot of European film, especially it would sort of become more surrealistic and bizarre and oh, yeah. psychological Okay, so obviously horror after the classic monster era would get much more um, abstract and psychological, especially with a lot of European horror, you know, Italian horror, which we'll get into a little bit on on my side with like Suspiria and stuff like that. I was going to say, isn't that that one of them I remember? Yeah. Yeah, so um, that's part of a kind of subgenre called Giallo, um, which we'll get into a little bit on because I have one of those films on my list. Giallo? (laughs) <laughs> yeah the jello genre jello horror uh people had a real phobia of gelatin back in the day so they were capitalizing <laughs> off of that but yeah so it was um y- you know it i do think that you are a horror fan but just kind of when it was more compact like when it was when it was less kind of like because I, I think nowadays horror has slowly become more what is this horror movie about and less sort of, um, you know, it's really been about trying to get creative and dig into people's psyches now, um, which, you know, a lot of early films did too, but uh, you know, we've kind of come back to that trend, I think in modern horror, whereas I find the horror you like is a lot of more where it's like concrete threats of like monsters and, and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Where like the idea of a horror has an embodiment, that is on screen and everything. Yeah. Which a lot of times, you know, uh, even, even back to Frankenstein can have, you know, big thematic elements too. It's just that those don't dominate the, the, the story so much, you know, because there is a lot of kind of like man trying to play God and, um, you know, it kind of goes into, I, I, you could argue that it sort of, has a little bit to do with like artificial intelligence. Like it's maybe one of the earlier stories of that Um, in, in some ways and sort of what's human and what's not. So it it definitely asks some bigger questions and all these movies really do um, to some degree, but uh, you know, it's definitely, it seems like horror was simpler then for sure. Yeah. And not, not in a bad way at all, you know, um, very much in a big classic way, but uh, you know, they just had these. It was the birth of the genre. Yeah. Um, for me, horror. So with my history of horror, I kind of, it's funny because when I was young, I was actually afraid of almost everything. And I would like, um, when I would visit my dad on, on weekends, he would, uh, 
he, he had this Chucky doll around the house and I would literally tell him he had to put it like in, he'd had to hide it in the closet or else I would not sleep there. Like I would make him drive me back to my mom's as like a seven year old. Those were, those were my demands. Yeah. I was like, no, thank you. Um, it was, there was something about images that were very like, you know, that would really stick in my head and haunt me. And at a certain point, I don't know when it was, maybe like preteens, I kind of became really interested in that and was kind of like, well, why do these images creep me out? And it became to a point where I started admiring like images that were burned into my head that freaked me out and things that I kind of like, you know, I had seen trailers for horror movies that kind of weirded me out. And I was like, okay, well, I want to know more about that. And I would say probably when I was like 11 or 12, I really started digging into the genre. Um, Cause as a kid, I always, I grew up on kind of, you know, we've talked about this before where um, you grew up on a lot of classics and I grew up on like kind of some weirder stuff. I grew up on classics too. Like my mom was a big star Wars fan, but like, you know, some of my favorite movies as a kid were a lot of like Jim Henson's weirder stuff, like Labyrinth or Dark Crystal. And like, there were kind of scary elements to those that I was really fascinated by. And I think like part of that always stuck with me. And part of that, like really made me want to eventually dig into horror. And when I found out horror could be more than just, you know, superficial scares, it can be uh, very much a connection to the things that, you know, not just make us afraid, but make us question ourselves and make us insecure as people and make us kind of like ponder our place in the world, all these big questions. Uh, that's kind of what really made me want to dig more into the genre. Um, and from there, I just kind of spread outward into everything I possibly could. I really like a lot of the, um, you know, when we get into my list, you'll find that a good chunk of it, I think all but three of them range from the year 1968 to 1981 which makes sense because I would say in general, my favorite decade for film, one of my favorite decades, at least would probably be the seventies. And because that was when they got a lot more experimental, a lot more grindhouse elements were introduced. They kind of really pushed the boundaries as far as violence and yeah, darker say, elements. Seventies is definitely screams the West era of film. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and some of my favorite horror comes from that. Um, so I think that's where, where we were really pushing the boundaries. And I think I became really fascinated by like extreme, like kind of genre extremes. I remember one of the movies we'll be talking about in the future is uh, the evil dead. I remember seeing that for the first time Now it's 1981, but it's very much still uh, a seventies film at heart. I feel like, um, oh, yeah. and the fact that it's low budget does set it back a couple years, a little bit, but in a good way, I think. I, and I think the, the creative effects are just like a Marvel to watch. But, um, you know, being in my, I was probably like 14 when I watched that movie for the first time and Honestly, sort of, same, I think. yeah. And, and sort of always having in the back of my mind that I would love to one day make films. It was just extremely ex inspiring that this was a movie that could sort of, uh, push those boundaries and still have these very visceral creepy scares and you know the low budget of it all kind of makes it added to the claustrophobia and really just made it exciting um i think horror in general a lot of people will tell you is one of the most inspiring genres as far as what you can do with a low budget i mean some of the greatest horror movies of all time were made on no budget you look at something like blair witch you know i mean a lot of just kind of the stripped down films were, you know, Texas Chainsaw, I don't think had a big budget. 
um, a lot of this stuff just, and it, it feels it, but again, in a good way, because it almost feels like someone just went out with a camcorder and recorded their horrifying experience. And it's one of the few genres where I think having that low budget feel can add to the appeal um, and to the aesthetic. So, yeah, I think over the years, I've just kind of embraced horror, like I've embraced most genres of film. And um, I, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it's my favorite genre, but it's, it's hard to pick a favorite really, but I think, I think definitely some of my favorite films of all time. Um, I think it's your are horror films. It's up there. It's up there. I really, I mean, you got to remember how much I love about like, you know, samurai films and martial arts films were really kind of the core of where I started with film in general, but horror was definitely a close second as far as like getting me in all these weird corners of the film world. So, Oh Yeah. It's funny that when you brought up Evil Dead and that the first one's your favorite, for me, it's like a tie between the second or first or second or third one. Cause as we were like discussing, you know, making our lists and, you know, kind of discussing our setups on horror and everything, we came to the realization that I love it when it's paired with another genre where it's like either action, comedy, suspense, you know, monster sci-fi. film, sci fi. It's mm-hmm. always like when it's paired with that is when it's my favorite. And like, I love like the slapstick humor that's in Evil Dead 2. And then uh, furthermore, in Evil Dead 3 or Army of Darkness. And that's just, I don't know. I've never really like loved a pure horror film, I guess. It's always, I, I, it's would, always... I would argue except for Halloween. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because the first alien, would that be not more sci-fi? I guess. I mean, I view spoiler alert, it may or may not be on my list. I view Alien as a pretty pure horror film. I mean, a lot of people, yes, it's horror sci-fi, but a lot of horror, and like you said, a lot of the best horror, you know, is related to or does have another genre incorporated in it. And that's what I love about horror, is it's very I think it's pretty versatile and multifaceted. I think because horror to be a horror movie the only defining characteristic it really has to have is the emotion of being afraid, uneasy, uncomfortable. So I feel like as long as it's doing that, the other elements are almost irrelevant. You know, I mean, it it can, if a movie can make you laugh the whole time, but then has a couple of scenes where it's doing that. Sure. You can call it a comedy horror, but it's, it still has roots in horror for sure. Um, I, and, you know, films like Army of Darkness and, you know, the Evil Dead sequels, they do have a place in my heart for sure. I, I am probably almost as precious about Army of Darkness as I am about the Evil Dead, just in very different ways. When it comes to like today where we're ranking horror films, I would, you know, the Evil Dead is is just would definitely be I would put it on a higher pedestal as far as that, just because that's what more of its focus is on is the horror. But it definitely has a little bit you can see that sort of tongue and cheekness that Sam Raimi implements in the sequels. You can see a little bit of that, even in the original, I think, but a lot of it is he sort of does these physical gags for comedy in the second two. And a lot of that was stuff he couldn't quite pull off in the first one too. So I think kind of making it a more gritty stripped down horror movie was really the way to go when they were at that budget level. Definitely. Um, But yeah, I'd like to get into sort of more of the conversation of like, what we each define as scary and if that's even as an enjoyable of an emotion for you as it is for me <laughs> when watching a movie. Um, I, and I want to kind of get into our different definitions of like what makes a good horror movie. But I think what will speak the best for that is if we go through our lists and then we can kind of 
use those right. examples and stuff um, afterwards to have kind of our bigger discussions about the genre. All so, right. um, Josh, well, if you would like to start with, yeah, I was gonna say, want me to just go first, just because I have like the most quote unquote basic, I guess, would be the per- um, way to. That's not true. It. That's not true at all. I think I think uh, I think listeners will find you have a very uh, distinct taste in horror movies that I think shows yeah. through your list. But go go ahead and hit us all with right. your number ten. At number 10, I have the, I believe it's, what, 2018 movie Overlord um, with uh, Wyatt Russell. I uh, forget some of the other actors in it because it's um, a lot of, like, no names, kind of. And it yeah. takes place during World War II, and there's, like, Nazis making zombies, and there's, like, some body horror thrown in there. It's definitely more action-oriented, but it's got some moments of, like, terror, and I... I just genuinely, I watched it with Jonah one night. He was watching it because he was just catching up on some movies he hadn't seen and was interested in. And he was probably about halfway through it. And I ended up watching it from that point all the way to the end with him. And I thought it was just really fun and really cool. And it had some great scenes in it too. It's funny you mentioned that one because I, I have seen it. I've seen it once. I actually watched it pretty recently. I want to say like maybe a year or two ago for the first time. And um, I, I did enjoy it. And it actually has a lot of elements, like a lot of the kind of uh, extreme pulpy genre stuff that I really love. I know something about it. I don't remember if it's rated R or rated PG-13, but I remember something about it felt PG-13 for me. And I think that was maybe the only thing that held it back was like I wanted it to go a little it's further. It's a very weak R-rated film yeah okay. i believe it is definitely r-rated because there are some graphic scenes in it like a guy gets like half his face blown off another one's like yeah okay and you can see his bones like sticking out his back and and i remember there were certain scenes of you know i i, I love anything that feels like a tribute to that type of movie and um i do i do remember really enjoying it but i'm glad you brought that one up because that's you know even, even though i'm i i definitely think it has some some flaws i think it's a really fun genre experiment oh yeah it's definitely it's very like genre heavy and stuff and definitely got like that pulpiness that you know i've somehow become a major fan of over the years and stuff and it's the newest film on my list did you want to say any closing things for overlord uh just i love it All right, man, that's a good pick. Yeah, I'm really glad that that one, uh, like I said, it's it's one that I don't know if it would entirely be on my, it definitely wouldn't be on my top 10. But again, I yeah. I feel like it's, to me, reads a lot as an action film too. Yeah. Um, whereas I'm more into like a lot of the pure horror elements, but I do, I do think it's a really fun yeah, one. Yeah, this is like the least horror of the horror movies I have on here. Sure. In my opinion, um, at least. So uh, I do have a ton of honorable mentions, but I'll actually I'll save those for the end uh, just so that hopefully anyone who's angry at any omissions I left on this list, uh, maybe that'll help uh, quell that a little bit. Um, So my number 10 is um, so we briefly mentioned the giallo genre, um, the Italian horrors, mostly in like the 70s. Deep Red uh, is so. It's Dario Argento from 1975, and I had first discovered this in 
um, you know, I had always known about the genre, but didn't really dive into it until last year. And I watched a couple um, uh, Lucio Fulci films, who's another prominent director in the genre, and like three Argento films and just became obsessed with like the overall look and aesthetic and um, style and the tropes of these sort of uh, of these films. And I, I started with Suspiria because I know that's the big one. And I really liked it. However, I think I like Deep Red even more. Well, I know I like Deep Red even more. Deep Red is the general story is about a psychic who, while everyone's watching her in this opera, kind of do like a, she's doing some sort of presentation or something. Um, she spots, or she she says that she senses uh, like a deep evil in the crowd. And we see from a first person perspective of someone watching her from the crowd, uh, run away. So assuming that, you know, this person is the, is the killer or, you know, a, uh, the deep evil she's speaking of, um, she is eventually murdered and a jazz musician witnesses this from outside the window. And from there, the story kind of unfolds. Argento has this trope of kind of having characters play detective when they're not really detectives. So like in Tenebrae, there's an author in this, it's a jazz musician, um, but he sort of gets entangled in this whole plot. And there's a lot of really fascinating statements about like um, gender norms and uh, sort of men assuming that they always have the upper hand in the world. And it's this very, uh, it goes very deep into these things while being just this really fun slasher film uh, revolved around its set pieces. And the visuals are fantastic. The cinematography, the music, it's very striking. And I just absolutely fell in love with this film. It has some really cool twists um, and some really creative uh, set pieces that I just adore and some images that will really stick in my head um, for years to come. So it's definitely one, Josh, I'll have to make you watch at some point because it's very fun, um, very dark, very weird, but also I think could be a crowd pleaser. Hmm. I I've seen Suspiria or that's the title, right? Yeah. All right, that's the only one of that genre of horror that I've seen. And that was back when I was in a film studies class in high school. And I was very much checked out of it just like for another <clears throat> midsummer movie. Um, um, just, I wasn't clicking with it <laughs> at all, but I'll definitely give this one a try. At, at least. And, and, you know, like, uh, uh, um, midsummer, uh, at least it's it's something that I think is interesting to look at for the craft. I think yeah, the craft like alone I, is just extremely well done. Yeah, like I said about Midsummer, beautiful cinematography, shit, everything else. Um, <laughs> all right, we'll cross uh, that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> yep. Um, so for me, for my uh, for my number nine is the horror comedy Cabin in the Woods. That's the second quote unquote newest of all my movies on here. That one I actually watched with a group of friends for the first time a good few years back. And I fell in love with it because it made it poked fun at the uh, genre tropes. And it had like lots of throwbacks and call, you know, Easter eggs to all sorts of uh, different horror movies, like ones that I've never seen, like Hellraiser. Um, It plays on the trope of like a backwoods zombie family and it was just it was fun and it definitely had some good elements of um, monster horror some great effects for the creatures um 
And I think what really sold it is just the dark comedy that was in the movie because that's what I loved about it was the dark comedy because I'm a sucker for that. And the all-out attack at the end of the movie in the um, facility was just awesome to watch. Very, very bloody too. Well, it's, it's interesting that you like that one because I loved it a lot but mostly because I was already a pre-established horror fan. Cause I feel like for horror fans, it's, it's really like just like a feast because it is so much fun <laughs> to just kind of on this, like this level of, Oh, I get that reference. I get that reference. And it has a lot of, it really plays on the tropes of horror films and kind of makes fun of them while I think embracing them in an yeah. endearing way. And for me, as someone who's like slowly gotten into film over the years, like I had an appreciation for it because I grew up watching James Rolfe's uh, Monster Madness. So I have I've always been on the outside of horror. So I've, you know, had an understanding of horror movies and stuff. I've been on the outside looking in and just respecting it, not being a fan of it, but respecting it. So this movie was um, felt like a good gateway for me because it. Sure. was like that it paid respects to past horror movies while being in its own thing and i think the dark comedy was what helped with it and it almost had like a tongue-in-cheek vibes at times and that pulpiness that i love yeah i feel like it can feel a lot like um you know how everyone's uh kind of been raving about that sparks brothers documentary that edgar wright did and how everyone's like oh i had no idea who this band is but now i feel like i have the same relationship with them as a fan just from watching this documentary i feel like that's kind of like cabin in the woods for horror movies oh, or yeah. like if you're not a horror fan i feel like you can watch that and totally understand why people love horror yeah and that's what i got from the movie and i really enjoyed it. i haven't watched it in a while but it's definitely one i'm going i, I will gladly come back to every october it's a fun one. It holds up for sure. And it definitely, it does feel like one of those staples um, kind of like trick or treat or something that feels yeah. like a fun, like watch every year Halloween movie. Definitely. Definitely. Um, What's your right. number nine, bud? So my number nine is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining from 1980. Um, this movie has a very deep history of behind the scenes drama and all sorts of weird ranging from weird to conspiratorial stuff. Um, I truly just find this, (laughs) I truly just find this a fascinating film. I think I really love things that are kind of, um, I love the stuck in one place trope. I love the, um, slowly losing their mind character arc i like the whole question of you know is are these really supernatural things um sort of pushing this guy or does he really feel as though or is this just him you know um i i think that's fascinating and what makes it so scary um you know coming from a generation where a lot of friends of mine have, you know, and people I've, I've spoken with have stories of, of kind of abusive or, um, you know, fathers with a mean streak. Uh, it, it can hit home in that kind of regard. 
And I think it's just kind of one of the, an example of one of those horror movies that while it has these supernatural elements to it and these, these kind of surreal images, I think the scariest thing is how real it feels at times and how real his anger feels at times. And because of that, I think it really has an impact. Jack Nicholson's performance, I think it goes without saying, is just so completely unhinged and terrifying. And, you know, it's been parodied for years and years and years. There's the famous Here's Johnny line that, you know, uh, is a complete meme at this point. But every time I watch it, I I still feel equally unsettled by him. And and I absolutely love how he plays it. Um, I, th- I think maybe if Shelley Duvall's performance... Um, as the wife was a little better, I think this might even be higher on my list. I think that's one of the few things that kind of holds the movie up. But the sheer craft, Kubrick's just this alienating, isolating feel he has doesn't work for every film, but it really works for this one. And it just makes this hotel feel so massive and empty. And it, that's really scary when you put it in the context of you're stuck in this building with someone who has lost their mind. Um <laughs> Yeah, there's so many classic scenes in this. Um, there's not much else I can say about The Shining that hasn't already been said. But um, yeah, I just I just think it's a, a brilliant movie. Um, Josh, have you seen this one? Wes, what's this famous sentence I've been saying since we started this film podcast? I haven't seen it. Well, I don't know. It's either that or I hate it. <laughs> so <laughs> those are kind of the two. It's it's a it's a roll of the dice at this point, Josh. I was like, Josh either hates this movie or hasn't seen it. Yeah, no, I have not seen it. It's on. I have like this list of like a thousand movies that everyone's like, Josh, you need to see it. And I'm like, I and that is one of them. So not to spoil one of my honorable mentions here, but I think we should watch it at some point. Um, I'd, I'd love to do a watch along because I think that you will like The Shining. I think you might like Dr. Sleep even more. I mean, it's got um, Ewan McGregor in that and I love Ian McGregor. Related sequel. And it's um, Mike Flanagan, who has absolutely been crushing it in the horror department lately. So name sounds um, familiar. What's he done? Uh, so he did Midnight Mass on Netflix, which just came out recently, which was fantastic. And then he did um, Haunting of Hill House and maybe Bly Manor, too. I can't remember. But, yeah, yeah. I've never seen any of those. So anyways, um, side note, Dr. Sleep is actually really good as well. Um, but The Shining is, yeah, it's a classic. It's a great one. All right. I'll definitely see it at some point. <laughs> All right. So mind if we move on to my number eight? This Do is it. probably the, this is most definitely the only movie Wes has not seen that's on my list. And it's from Toho. So, you know, shock, shock, my favorite studio. Um, and it's from Ishiro Honda. It's called Matango or here in the U.S. It's called Attack of the Mushroom People. I know. <laughs> silly so title curious. for the States. I'm so curious. Um, but anyway, so this is a movie that has a lot of reoccurring Godzilla actors like Akira Kubo, um, Kumi Mizuno, Kenji Sahara, a lot of famous Godzilla actors in this. And one thing I was very surprised by was um, I was not expecting this because I was just, you know, I was going through like Toho's filmography and stuff that had been, you know, at least released here in the States. And I knew of it. I had never watched it. And so one day I just popped into my PS4 and was watching it. And this movie is one of the not like creepy, just unsettling because it's about a group of friends who are out sailing and stuff and they get caught in a storm and wind up on a deserted island. 
And so they kind of end up hunkering down on this island and they slowly start, you know, backstabbing each other. You know, one of them ends up like trying to hoard all the food for himself. And it's just one of those kind of like they're all isolated there. And if they eat the indigenous mushrooms on the island and everything, it starts mutating you and you become like kind of almost like the last of us with the cordyceps fungus. It kind of does that to you. And hmm. um, it was just great. And yeah, so with Matango and everything, it was just the atmosphere. It was dark, gloomy. They're on like an old decrepit ship that had beached. And it's just visually so pretty. To, or not like pretty, but just it reminds me like the jungle from King Kong, where it's just like the more you look at it, the more you just want to explore it and see it for yourself. And one thing that's really cool about it is it's told through this perspective of one of the characters is locked away, you know, in like a hospital and stuff. And he's just talking to a doctor. And then it like, oh, it's so cool. It's like he's telling it as how the events happened. And I love I just love the movie. And it's one I've been really wishing Wes could watch, but it's sadly like really hard to find. I'm shocked that I was able to find it for as cheap as I did. I found it for like 30 bucks on DVD. Um, but other than it's uh, like Tokyo Shock, I think, was the one who put it out on DVD. But it's one what I think, Wes, you because you love atmospheric horrors and stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Well, as you're describing it, it sounds like more up my alley than I thought. I kind of thought this would be like a weird, quirky, like kind of tongue in cheek horror. But it's it sounds no, legitimately no, it creepy. Self seriously. Cool. Yeah, yeah I'm into I that. think you would really like that one. And I, it's one that, again, I wish we could watch it, but Toho films have like no distribution here in the States. So it's one of those that's just really hard to come across. Yeah, we'll definitely have to try and hunt that sucker down at some point. I want to yeah. watch it. Definitely. Good. I'll, I'll gladly watch it with you because I think you'll like it a lot. Cool, man. That's an awesome pick. Um, so for my number eight, I have the American classic 1931's Frankenstein um, starring Boris Karloff as the, as Frankenstein's monster. Um, This is another one. I don't really know what else to say about it that hasn't already been said, except that if you are writing this off as kind of like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, it's one of those, you know, historical movies people talk about, but it's probably pretty cheesy, blah, blah, blah. Um, Go back and watch it. Cause it is really, Truly, again, we're talking about how I love atmosphere. Um, it has this dark fable feel to it um, that another one that I'll mention um, later on does too. And I feel as though, I, I don't know, I've always been attracted to that. And that's maybe why I like Guillermo del Toro so much is I like that dark fairy tale aspect. And I feel like Frankenstein really has that. Um, yeah, there's some really surprising and I don't want to say much more because you need to go back and rewatch it, Josh, but oh, definitely um, I, I want to see all the original, like first starting universal yeah. horror films. This, this one is, has always been my favorite of that, of that group. And it's just always stuck with me. I remember first seeing it with uh, our grandpa actually, and nice. really being surprised at how much I loved it. <laughs> um, even as a young kid, cause it was before I had kind of, my brain had accepted black and white movies and I think I was really young. I was probably like six or seven or something. And I just, yeah, I was just glued to the TV and could not keep my eyes off it. It's just really just this brilliant little dark fairy tale. 
I think the performance of Boris Karloff as Frankenstein gets often parodied and kind of summed up to, you know, the zombie walk and him just kind of grunting, but it's really, really so much more than that. And there's all these little nuances that he adds to it that I think just really help that telling of the character stand the test of time. Um, It's nothing like Mary Shelley's book, which I read a long time ago, but um, it's honestly, I kind of like this story better. Hmm. I am actually a little surprised that you have this on here. I just, it doesn't, you know, probably because I just haven't seen it. It just doesn't seem like it would be one of your choices. So it's actually, that's really cool that it is. And I I definitely want to check it out again. It's kind of the moody, sad boy pick of the universal film. So once you go back and watch it, I think you'll, (laughs) I think you'll, I think you'll get it a little more. Yeah. Um, Just say sad boy and I'll understand. (laughs) Enough said. Uh, All right. So your number seven. My number seven is Tremors from 1990, I believe. And Mm -hmm. this movie is probably the one I've watched. Okay. Probably one of my top three most watched on this list. Um, (laughs) I adore this movie. I saw it way too goddamn young. I was like seven years old when I saw this. So like I was saying, I've had dreams of graboids coming up from under my floorboards, eating me alive and um yeah the i don't know why my mom and dad thought hey let's show this seven-year-old he likes godzilla he can definitely watch tremors this is so much more violent than any of the godzilla movies wish they were like um and some of the deaths were kind of shocking you know especially to a kid and i just love the whole aspect of they can be under the ground at any moment and you have to be quiet you can't make it's like a quiet place but you can't even walk <laughs> and that yeah this i just love that movie so much the pr- practical creature effects are amazing they are all the effects work in this movie is top notch between the miniatures and pra- you know like life size creatures and kevin bacon and fred ward kill it they are like the the bromance between those two like you buy it <laughs> instantly you can tell they've been like it feels like they've been friends for decades in this movie. Um, so I actually, I had seen this one pretty young as well. And I, it's funny. Cause I remember it being one of those, like there's some movies I remember like just walking into my parents watching and just kind of being like, what's this? And then being way more interested in it than I would expect. Um, this one was, uh, yeah, I, I remember. It's funny because I haven't seen it front to back in years, but I, the images are burned in my head, and a lot of the the sequences are very like, just super iconic. Uh, just of them like getting up on rocks and like you know in the desert, and oh, yeah. uh, like there's like there's like a set piece in like a shed or something with like a gun hung up on the wall, right? If I remember correctly, um, there is a deleted scene for that. Um, but you could be thinking of uh, the basement scene where the graboid busts into Bert's basement and he turns around and he it. just got the wall of guns. Yes, I remember a wall of guns. Uh, but Jonah's again, that's scene. That's crazy because I was probably like, honestly, like younger than fifteen last time I saw that movie front to back, and Jesus. I. I still have these images burned in my head of just like this super fun, like kind of throwback to, to creature features, which 
um yeah I'm, I'm that's one i'm really excited to rewatch at some point yeah and plus i just got the arrow release so it's like the remastered you know digitally restored box set and the movie just looks beautiful to this day and again the creature effects are just so good and it was only made on a budget of 10 million so they did an excellent job with that budget like it does not feel cheap like that no i remember and even in clips i've seen just like you know passing through on the internet or whatever i've like it always still holds up pretty well oh yeah i just hate the fact that it's been one of those that it's had nothing but direct to seek uh direct to dvd sequels and i mean the first two sequels were pretty decent but they've made way too many of them yep that yeah like the fact that there's still i think there's one in production right now i want to say and it's just like why why are there so many of them at this point all right uh what's your uh number seven bud all right. So my number seven is a film that I had watched fairly recently. Um, I saw it last year for the first time. Um, this one's called Ugetsu and it is a 1953 Japanese film by director Kenji Mizuguchi. He's a pretty prominent um, director. I want to say he's done a couple other like ghost surreal type supernatural stories. Um, this is one of the films, the minute it ended, I was like, this is one of my favorite films of all time. I was absolutely blown away. Um, it crams so much. I want to say it's only like an hour and like 20 minutes, hour and 30, but it crams so much in that runtime and not in like a rushed way, but just in a way that it, you really feel like you've taken a whole journey by the end of it. This one, again, there's a theme here, uh, feels like kind of a dark fable and has this dark fairy tale-esque feel to it. Um, it's essentially these uh, two peasants who um, kind of get warned by a local sage that um, they shouldn't go seeking riches over everything else for happiness. Um, they sort of ignore their wives and kind of turn their back on their like more traditional family lifestyle to go try and sell stuff to make money. One of them eventually meets this like countess or um, this, like um, she's some sort of woman of, of uh, prominence and she sort of lures him in and he ends up going to her, uh, you know, castle or fortress or whatever it is. And you find that he may or may not be under some sort of spell. Um, so it's basically sort of this um, tragic uh, sort of tale of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, it's, I guess it's a morality tale. Um, and it's very creepy, very atmospheric. Um, the black and white photography is absolutely chilling. Um, the choice of music when they use it and music when they don't use it is just brilliant. Um, it does not feel like a relic of the past. It, it feels like you are just absorbed in this world um, and it's a, a truly engrossing and fascinating movie. And I don't want to say too much without spoiling it for you. Cause I think you should check it out, but um, Ugetsu is definitely a really cool gem. There's a criterion Blu-ray of it that I picked up and it is just fantastic. On um, HBO max. 
It might be actually, you know what I think it is. There's a handful of Japanese and you said Criterion, and I was just like, okay, so that that sounds like it might be on HBO. No, Max. actually, now that I think of it, I think it gets it might be on there. So that's definitely worth a watch. It's all right, amazing. Like I, I can fuck with ten that. out of ten. I love that movie. And I'm a sucker for Japanese cinema because you know Godzilla and everything. So I'll gladly yeah, don't watch say. It. <laughs> <laughs> this was only a year before the the great year. So yeah. Um. All right. Uh. So Josh, hit us with your number six. My number six is actually my most recent rewatch, um, Them from 1954, about the giant uh, killer ants. And honestly, this movie really holds up. Like, there's some corny, you know, 1950-isms in there about the atomic age and all that. But there are some genuine scenes of suspense for a 1950s movie. And I'm just, I was shocked at how much I was like, wow, this is still really holding up like the first 10 15 minutes are easily some of like the best of the 1950s horror that i've seen because this movie it doesn't it's not like a cheap you know tongue-in-cheek you know b movie from the 50s it actually took itself seriously Hmm? oh okay oh no i was just nodding along yeah and the creature effects they're a little stiff but they were able to do so much and i think it honestly inspired some modern day horror movie you know like aliens and stuff like that where they go into the nest and they have to you know they find all the eggs and all that kind of stuff and they're hunting a queen so i think you know maybe some inspirations were taken here and there yeah just the overall there's the scenes of suspense in this movie are genuinely really well done like again like there's just scenes where it's like if i just hear that like the sound the ants make and it sends it legit sends chills up my spine every time i hear it because it is just creepy and yeah it's i love this movie so freaking much and it has like a 93 on rotten tomatoes so you guys know it's gonna be good um I, can we talk about how I miss the era of being able to throw an exclamation point at the end of a title to, <laughs> to stress yeah. just how suspenseful it is? Um, I This is one I saw very young, and I really uh, – it's another one that I just – like the images are very stuck in my head, and I don't remember them feeling – dated or cheap at all so i'm excited to watch it again and again i've seen a couple like screenshots since then that like still look really cool and i mean i i think there's something to be said for how creative artists had to get back then it's not like now where they're like oh well we'll figure it out in the computer you know it's i think yeah when effects creators had to rely on doing everything practically you really came up with this stuff that you're like holy shit like you know had computer animation never been invented i'd I'd be curious to see how much more we we could do you know not that we've necessarily the practical world is completely dead but you know it's it's fading and it's it's sad when you look at films like that where all it took was some atmospheric black and white photography and some creative effects and you got some really cool stuff so yeah there's like a scene in like an old um general store that had been attacked by the ants and everything and the scene is genuinely suspenseful because there's like the guy gets left behind because his cop buddy um has to go out and 
you know, gather the, you know, reinforcements to bring in and to investigate it. And he hears the ants and there's no dialogue during the entire scene. It's just him. He's slowly turning off the lights as he's just looking around. And there's a great shot of him. He's just kind of like looking back and forth between areas. And he's just, it's so creepy and like so well done. And I, I really do appreciate that they keep the, you know, like they don't show the ants right off. And yeah, I can't sing this movie's praises enough. Yeah, that's another one I'm really excited to check out again. All right. So for my number six, uh, Josh, you mentioned Aliens, which is a great segue to me talking about 1979's Alien, uh, its precursor, um, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Sigourney Weaver. Um, I'd be surprised if I need to explain this film to anyone at this point, but um, this is one of the most iconic people stuck in a place and a creature's hunting them down movies ever. Um, Could this also be considered a slasher genre, part of the slasher genre? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, it it technically follows that formula, right? And it's, I'd argue it's a creature feature, it's a sci-fi, it's a suspense thriller, it's a lot of things. Um, I, I think every time I watch this movie, I'm just riveted by how cool it must have been to see this in theaters <laughs> for the first time. Um, there's so many iconic shots. Sets. Yeah, the sets are brilliant. The um I mean the uh what do they call them? The star man or something. There's some name for it. I don't know. Some someone will hear this and correct me. Uh please do. So um, but there's I forget what they call him, but there's like that set of the guy kind of in the like pilot suit thing. Yeah. And it is just fucking cool and um you know hr geiger's design work for this is gothic and creepy and weird and truly alien you know like it really feels like these things were not created by people which is just so exciting um of a concept because i think sometimes we get so hung up in on like you know sometimes Aliens look a little too familiar, you know, whereas not oh, in this, this everything are. feels entirely of its own uh, feeling, you know, and uh, I, I think before we got like Prometheus and all that, I kind of liked how we didn't know much, you know, all we got were those amazing sets. And I think, I think it created that fascinating feeling. And what I find so interesting about sci-fi and the idea of space and what's out there is that we don't have the answers to all the mysteries and this movie created that. And that made the threat in the film feel scarier, you know? So when we finally get to the point where this creature's hunting everyone down, we, we don't know why we don't know who brought this thing. We don't know why they wanted to bring this thing. Um, you know, you get some backstory with the Android on the ship that kind of snuck on there. And, but God, is it a fun movie? with Just so many iconic moments uh Sigourney Weaver oh, playing Ripley kills it in this movie one of and the absolute the best yeah one of the absolute best lead characters in a film ever I mean for me she's up there with your Indiana Jones you know your any of the leads from Star Wars I mean she is just one of the most iconic characters um and I think that it's really cool. One of my favorite things in horror movies is when you don't really know who your lead is you just kind of have this cast and there's a couple like, you know, the 
um, the captain and stuff. There's a couple characters that they lead you to believe are going to kind of be the male lead who's going to save the day. But no, those characters end up dying. And then <laughs> Ripley, who's been telling everybody they've been fucking up the whole time, uh, has to finally just take control of shit for herself. And it's a really cool way to kind of, you know, showing her frustration in like the early parts of the movie uh, kind of helps subtly build her to be like the main uh, character. And they kind of get you behind her by the end where you're like, yeah, she was right. Let's fucking let's go. You know? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Really just uh, an absolute blast. And I know, you know, there's the constant debate over alien versus aliens. First off, you can love both, you know, yeah. but I, I kind of have a cheat answer, which is, I feel like they're two different films. I think on a horror level, I think alien is better. And I think on an action level, aliens is its own thing, you know? And I oh, think, yeah. uh, but alien, because it has that horror angle, because it has this atmosphere. Um, I love uh, Ridley Scott's direction in it. I, I think it's just, you know, and of course I, I can't move on without talking about the iconic chest bursting scene. Oh my God, um, dude, that scene is fucking wild. The idea that they told people that something was happening, but didn't tell them exactly what on set. And then <laughs> he means you got some of the most organic real reactions, which is just makes that scene so rewatchable. And so fun. I remember I actually uh, showing Leah this movie for the first time last year. Uh, I filmed her reaction to that. Oh my scene. God. How have I not seen that? <laughs> and there was a literal Yelp. Yeah, I'll have to find that. But um, it was a very enjoyable moment for me. But yeah, this movie will always have a close place in my heart and is one of my favorites. For me, I just, I, I personally love the second one more because I just love that, like, even with all these big macho military guys, they're just no force to the unstoppable aliens and everything. And then just that the iconic line of um, let go of her, you bitch, when she's in the mech and everything. And if you're someone who uh, grew up on Starcraft like myself, you can go back and watch Aliens and kind of feel like you got a Starcraft movie. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I, I adore both movies, but for me, I personally prefer the second one just for different aspects and not that the first one's bad because, oh my God, like just talking about it now, I can instantly think of that crash spaceship from when, where they discover the egg and mm -hmm. everything. Like I haven't seen this movie in probably five years at least. And I still like Wes has brought up a couple of times. I just have images engraved in my head from it. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. definitely one that sticks with you. It so, definitely is. Josh, what you got for number five? Number five is Cloverfield. That movie, I personally, that was one of, I think that was like the first major creature feature I got to see, you know, when I first started really, you know, it came out at a perfect time for me. I was like 11 or 12 when it came out. And I sadly didn't get to see it in theaters because it was PG-13 and it uh, could have been too scary for me. Uh, uh. So I begged and begged my mom when it came out on DVD to finally rent it for me back when that was a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that movie gave me nightmares and I loved it. it. It, the subway scene in that movie when they're in the um, subway and they're like, they keep hearing noises and then all the rats run by them and then they turn the video camera on to night vision and they just see all the 
parasites just like creeping along the ceiling and oh that was horrifying um that character that explodes in the uh, hazmat tent uh just those images engraved and clover is easily one of the coolest monster designs and i wish the series didn't go downhill fat as fast as it did but um i genuinely really love this monster movie and the fact that we don't really know where it came from and how like secretive the whole like you know just advertising campaign was it was so cool because i remember when the first trailer dropped it was literally just called 11808 and there was no no name for it and jonah was uh, actually seeing the first transformers and that was attached to it i believe and so um that was how he thought it could have been you know a secret godzilla reboot that had been coming out and that's mm-hmm. actually what a lot of people thought and this is uh one of the first jj abrams projects i've ever seen too yeah just, yeah this I, is a very very josh movie oh yeah and it's the, one of the only found footage movies i like it's this and uh troll hunters which is i believe a danish or norwegian film yeah i can't remember but yes yeah yeah those are like um, the only two found footage films that i've seen that i've been like wow these movies fucking slap oh cloverfield holds up i i actually it took me a very long time to see it i saw it like five years after it was in theaters i think and um once I finally got around to seeing it, I really enjoyed it. It's, uh, I don't, I don't have too much to say about it, but it's, it's, um, I just remember it being a lot more fun than I expected. And, oh, yeah. and um, yeah, the effects are really cool. And they, uh, I, I think the choice to not show the creature too much is, is all yeah, really that was one of the, that I appreciate. Yeah. That was one of the times that I did appreciate, you know, there's part of me inside that goes, show me the damn monster already. But I love the way on how it was shown and you just saw glimpses of it here and there. Uh, it was so mm-hmm. well done in my opinion. Absolutely, and it's uh, yeah. Matt Reeves. And I really want to get into his filmography, especially because the new Batman looks amazing. Just watch the ape sequels. Yeah. So good. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on to my number five, very different end of the spectrum, uh, 1981's The Evil Dead. This movie, I, like I said, I think the first time I watched it was like, this was when I was like, I want to watch every horror mo- or every R-rated movie there is out there because it was probably just around when I started being allowed to watch hor- like R-rated movies and horror films. So uh, I remember my parents were in bed. It was... It was, I was probably like, I was, I'm probably like 10, maybe nine or 10. No, I was probably like 10 or 11. And um, younger than me when I first saw it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I remember throwing it on at like midnight and all lights were off. And after like the first 10 minutes, just the atmosphere of it, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to turn on the lights and take a food break. And then um, just, turn the lights back off and made a promise to myself. I'm not going to, not going to get up. I'm just going to enjoy it. And man, is it a fun movie? And it's, yeah, it's got your moments you can laugh at, but I, I think it's still got some genuine moments of terror. Um, I think it's just thrillingly paced really. I mean, you got the discovery of Bruce Campbell in this movie. I fucking love that. Who, man. Yeah. It's just a complete gift to the geek world. And, uh, 
yeah, I don't, it's like I said, the, the low budgetness of it, the, um, the creepy tone, the really, really, really fantastic creative effects. Um, you know, and there's points where you just completely throw realism out the window. You know, there's, there's points where like the creatures are dissolving at the end and they just look like legitimate Play-Doh. Uh, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think it's because I would rather just see an image that I haven't seen on screen, something that seems new and creative. And I think this, this film just oozes that. And it really goes to show what you can do with independent filmmaking. Yeah. I, like I was saying earlier in this uh, podcast and everything, how I prefer the sequels because they lean more into that um, slapstick horror that I enjoyed so much. Um, This one, I'll have to give it a couple more rewatches because I liked it, but I didn't love it. Um, so I definitely want to give it another try. This is the one that's the one so far on your list that I want to rewatch the most so far. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those ones that um, it just feels like Sam Raimi came out the gate swinging and just really knew exactly what he wanted to do here. And uh, it really shows, but yeah, Josh. So what do you got for your number four? My number four is my pick from the universal monsters um, creature from the black lagoon. That was nice. so. This completes my trifecta of 1950s, well, specifically 1954 um, monster movies, which was <laughs> Gojira, um, them, and now Creature from the Black Lagoon. All came out in the yeah, same wow. year, and they're all fucking some of my all-time favorite movies. Um, this is one that you can ask my family. I've watched it billions of times at least, and. I think Gilman is easily one of the coolest creature designs. I even have like one of those diamond select figures of him. I'm, you know, fingers crossed NECA releases their version because they were slowly working through the monsters right now. They did Mummy, Frankenstein, and Wolfman. Wait, wait, so, wait. I'm having a revelation here. His name is Gilman? Yeah, G I L M A N. Gilman. I never, but they call him Gilman? Not in the movie. It's what the, it's basically the fan name that's just uh, kind of stuck over all the years because they just call him the creature i was like gil gil man is this is this canon <laughs> no god no it's not like it's not really canon <laughs> but it's just it's basically become the official the unofficial yeah, official name <laughs> and it is one of the coolest creatures it has like its eyes never blink and it's really unsettling at times and and this is one of the only times that the horror takes place during the day and actually still works. And I, the, the way it was filmed was beautiful. It, I, I forget if it was filmed in Florida or not, because it was, it was supposed to be like some tropical jungle, but I think they were, you know, budgetary reasons. They just filmed it in Florida. Um, but it More was likely, it was just really well done. I, I, I can't sing this film's praises enough. And, uh, Weird facts, but um, the music to this movie got recycled and reused in the American cut of King Kong versus Godzilla. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's because that's cool. a um, universal production. Mm. Um, so when they Makes had redubbed sense. Godzilla um, and brought it over to the States, that they had put their own stock music and erased the masterful work of Akira Fukube, which is don't do that. Um, <laughs> don't do that. Uh, but yeah, this movie visually is one of the prettiest and it's got some of the un- great underwater photography 
Um, I believe it's Rico Browning is the name of the uh, filmographer or cinematographer um, who ended up working on the James Bond movie Thunderball. Yeah, but it was that those underwater scenes were a little overused. This one, it was perfect because it fit the still gorgeous, still oh, yes. still great looking. Oh yeah, still gorgeous in uh, Thunderball, but it worked better in this movie. There's no, nobody asked for Sean Connery H two O. Yeah, <laughs> which is what they should. If they ever reconsidering renaming that film in the canon. Yeah, you know, I would just like a little bunny on the side for uh, taking my idea. Oh yeah, but yeah, this movie. I just I love it. I've watched this is one that I have like a really nice quality Blu-ray for it, and the uh, it's such a good movie, and I I can't praise it enough. Ever since uh, The Shape of Water, to bring up Guillermo del Toro again, yep. uh, came out, I've been wanting to rewatch this movie so bad because I haven't seen it, and that's this is another one I haven't seen. It's strange. I don't know what it is, but a lot of your picks are all movies I like watched as a kid. All the imagery got like burned into my head. And then I never watch them again. And I don't know why. And it's it's not out of not wanting to. I just I just think it's some of these are hard to find. And um oh, yeah. I think once I started collecting, I kind of started with other I had other priorities, but these are definitely all movies I want to revisit. Definitely. And I think especially at least during now, I feel like you, for some reason the universal movies are all always seem to be getting you know re-releases. So they're becoming more available, thankfully. Definitely. Well, yeah, that was my number four. Um, all right. So my number four, as you would say, <laughs> is um, Halloween 1978. Um, so I'm finally going to break the trend of my last two picks where you said you like the sequels better, because if you like the sequels better to Halloween, you're definitely on something uh, because <laughs> this movie is fantastic. I love John Carpenter in general. I've been binging a lot of his work lately. Um and it's funny because I'm not typically most of the slasher films I appreciate. Like I, I like the nightmare on Elm street franchise for their creativity. Um, I like the Friday, the 13th franchise for its stupidity, but for the most part, they don't really, this is the only slasher that really has a, a like solid place in my heart. Um, you know, true slasher anyways, as far as like, you know, masked guy, murdering teens um and i I think that's because this movie is just treated differently there's not a lot of on-screen violence it's entirely about the atmosphere and it very quickly starts focusing on jamie lee curtis which i think i adore if i can movie yeah and i think if i can think of like one secret thing to this thing's success or not so secret is that she is just so brilliant and we were actually um so lee and i watched i showed her the original nightmare on elm street for the first time the other day and that movie would be an absolute masterpiece if the lead actress was just a little bit better at least um there's some very clunky dialogue but i think it kind of makes it its own movie for that right like it kind of feels it it makes it more elevated b movie whereas i feel like because halloween has a powerhouse lead performance and just the charisma of jamie lee curtis i think kind of elevates it completely out of b horror movie genre and just completely into kind of like an all-time great and 
this is really a movie I think that you have to, if you haven't seen it somehow, uh, you just have to watch it. You just have to see it. You have to soak it in. Uh, the music done by John Carpenter himself, which is awesome that he does his own scores, um, is just very, very, very iconic for the time, but also really transcends. And I mean, I think when we think of just Halloween in general, not just the movies, but the holiday i think like that's kind of he kind of made the theme song for the holiday you know like it's i knew the music long before i saw the movie so uh i think this is one that will never much like mike myers will never die yeah uh, so jump ahead a little this was my number two pick for uh, my top 10 so i'll just get my thoughts out of the way i this was i watched this for the first time with my best friend dakota um and straight after this, we wa- we instantly went into the um, second uh, Halloween just because of the way the first one ends. And I think the first one just ends brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And oh, my God, this I haven't seen this in a while, but I just the atmosphere of this movie alone is so great. In the beginning, when he is just a child and he kills his sister is just the first person shot. Oh, Ugh. my God. And you just see the knife. Yep. Oh, it's so yeah, the whole movie is just excellent. It is easily one of the creepiest movies I've watched. And like the scene where she's walking down the street and she like looks behind her and he's like halfway hidden by the bush. She turns around, turns around again, and he's just gone. Oh, so fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. He is definitely uh, a haunting presence throughout that entire movie. Yeah, I mean, it's everything about this film is iconic. And I, th- I think... Kind of too, I do want to briefly speak about kind of the new reboots because while I appreciate what they're going for, I think where they falter is trying to create more of a lore and elaborate more on kind of like a deeper meaning to this character. I feel like the simplicity is what made Halloween so effective is we just had no idea you know, we, we kind of, we get a, enough of his backstory in that opening scene that after that, you know, we just... We don't need to know why he's killing people. We don't need to know how he's killing people. He doesn't need to talk. We don't need to like, like just let him do his thing. Uh, let him kill, make it atmospheric. And I think because the first one does that, I think it's just, it can't be beaten. So yeah. Like the scene where um, he kills one of her friends and um, is like pinned him. Was it the guy that he yep. pinned to the wall? I want to say. It, or was it one of the girls that she hangs. I want to say it was one of the girls, but I could be wrong. Um, and he just does that little head tilt after he's pinned them to the wall. It's just oh, <laughs> Yo, horrifying. So creepy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like yeah. after when she first thinks she's first got him, and then you just see him slowly rising up in the background from behind the bed and everything. Oh my god. Like I haven't seen this movie in years, and I still like Wes has been saying, I just have those ingrained in my head. And yeah, I just love that movie. It's fantastic. Hey, and he got um, another Bond connection. Donald Pleasance as Loomis. Oh, yeah. Blofeld. Good point. All right. So next up, uh, your number three. My number three is the 2004 Dawn of the Dead. Oh, from wow. From Zack Snyder. This is high up. Yeah. Well, it's like the first like major zombie movie that I really liked. That wasn't like a parody or something. It was like a true like zombie horror movie because... This is sadly one of the cases where I've seen the remake before the original, so I like the remake more. Not that I don't disrespect the original George Romero one. I just 
need to see never, it more. Never disrespect the original George A. Romero. Oh, George Romero's fucking genius. Um, so good. But yeah, I just love this movie. It's again, it's got a dark sense of humor, which I like. The zombies are terrifying because they can fucking run. So that was great. And I just love the whole like um, dead rising aspect where they're in the mall and they're just like fortifying it and making it their home. And I love that about it. That That's so cool. I like I like those kind of stories. And this is one of the um, I think this is one of the only ones on my list that ends on a truly bad note for the main characters and everything. Because the yeah, one, yeah, it's where- a it's a dark ending, and then um, you know, got that that sweet disturbed soundtrack, which really uh, totally doesn't date it at all. Nope. <laughs> so this movie came out in two thousand four. Was "Down with the Sickness" even a cool song then? It was only four years old at that point. Okay. So this is when okay. Disturbed was like riding high. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. This this movie, like the zombie effects, look great. Um. I love the scene where they're on the roof and the guy's just holding up signs on which zombie, the snipe and everything. And they're just in there. I do love that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is actually my first Zack Snyder film. Um, I, I personally enjoy his work. I, I remember um, getting some very heated uh, discussions with my uh, old gaming teacher and Dakota, because we both like Zack Snyder and he hates Zack Snyder with a passion. Um, Zack Snyder somehow managed to be a really polarizing figure in the film world where it's like, why can't it just be either like him or you don't? Why do we have to be dicks about it? Like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, I, uh, I've come around to him quite a bit actually over the years. And so I, I kind of, I've had a full arc with him. I really loved him when he first hit the scene with this and 300. And then he kind of started losing me a little bit, um, during like the sucker punch and owl movie era. And then, um, came back with you know i i actually really like his his watchman and then i think came back with the vengeance when he was finally able to release his snyder cut because i think that thing is one of the few times where uh the obnoxious uh red pages were right yeah <laughs> and uh we needed to see that movie so oh yeah i'm really i'm really glad we got that but but yeah um, i i adore this movie this, like i was saying ving rames is great in this and this is one that I need to rewatch again because it's been a hot moment since I last watched it, but it's one that I've it's always a fun enjoyed. one. It's I actually fun. rewatched it fairly recently. Yeah. But I, um, I don't think it's as iconic as, as George A. Romero's, but I think it's, it's definitely an enjoyable time for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's a lot of these, I've just been too busy this holiday season to um, watch a lot. Well, I've also been watching a lot of non of my life i've been watching a lot of new ones to myself like a couple of the hammer films malignant mm-hmm. um fucking midsummer um you're welcome it's two hours i need back in my life please <laughs> two and a half two and a half whatever um <laughs> but yeah i think I, that just means you love it that it only felt like two hours <laughs> it just breezes right by oh. Or was that just the two hours I was uh, alive for? <laughs> but yeah, um, Dawn of the Dead's one that I'll gladly revisit anytime Halloween rolls around. Or just sure. whenever, because zombies are always cool. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so on to my number three, which is 2015's The Witch or The Vavitch, if you want to be a dick about it. Um, <laughs> so this one has a very special place in my heart um, for a lot of reasons. Um, it kind of rekindled an interest in horror for me. I think um, early 2000s were kind of a dark time for horror. So after I had sort of uh, binged all the horror that I possibly could from like the, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s, I sort of started to realize that not a lot of modern horror was coming out that I was that was really striking my fancy. Um, And then I, um, you know, I'm for those who don't know, I'm from New Hampshire. So uh, we had the New Hampshire Film Fest right in my uh, local town of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And uh, Robert Eggers was there premiering his film of The Witch, which I got to see uh, that night and cool. got to watch for a Q&A after. Um, so he grew up in Lee, New Hampshire. Um, I, I believe that. he grew up in Lee, New Hampshire. And, did, and a lot of this is based on uh, folklore about witches from there. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, you know, it's about a family who's cast away. This is like very was it like mid 1800s, something like that. And um, early 1800s. And um, they're a family who's cast away to live by themselves from the village. And they have to, they slowly start having paranoia when uh, the youngest child disappears. And the oldest child played by Anya Taylor-Joy is um, sort of thrust upon as the scapegoat for this and they start accusing her of being a witch and it sort of becomes this claustrophobic witch hunt um where you only have a few characters so there's only a few uh suspects and it builds paranoia throughout the film um we see very early on evidence of a witch but after that we're mostly just left with their experiences in this cabin and it ends with one of the most atmospheric and chilling final 10 minutes I've ever seen in a film ever. Um, a lot of people like to write a 24 off as just kind of pumping out artsy bullshit, um, yeah, like which summer. is fine. I get it. Uh, but I truly think fuck off. Uh, but I truly <laughs> think that the witch is one of, uh, I think it's a modern masterpiece. I really love this film. I think it's, it doesn't go on a minute too long or a minute too short. It's, it's, everything it needs to be it's everything i love about horror it's just this constant building of tension to this point where it's you just can't stand it anymore it's got this heartbreaking emotional core to it where you're seeing all these characters that you want to root for just turning on each other uh the performances are great the um you know just the the whole tone and atmosphere and the way it's shot is absolutely gorgeous um there's some really iconic imagery in this one um and yeah, I think just seeing it in that circumstance and in kind of this historic theater in Portsmouth was just this really uh, one of my favorite theater experiences ever. And um, every time I watch this, it's like I'm back in that theater again, watching it for the first time. And I just I'm always excited by the feeling it gives me. I just really love this film and, and think it's like a flagship for how horror should be done moving forward in the future. I'll definitely give it a watch. I think you should. It's not midsummer, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's got some weirdness, but it's not midsummer. Well, does 
yeah, that, that it just sounds better than Midsummer. Um, so <laughs> I remember hearing bits and pieces about it, but that's cool that it's based in New Hampshire and stuff. And as someone who grew up for a little bit in New Hampshire and stuff and is very familiar with the area because that's where a lot of our family still is. So mm-hmm. that that would be really cool to give it a watch. Yeah, I think it's I think it was shot in Canada because cheaper they practically pay yeah they pay you to shoot there but um you know and but the, the fact that it takes place in new hampshire is really really cool oh yeah um, but yeah that's a modern masterpiece for me i love it um moving on um yeah so you want to just talk about your number, number two, two was, was halloween yeah. Yep. yeah so we'll move on to my number two which is uh we mentioned george a. romero earlier uh so mine is his classic night of the living dead um iconic i think that a lot of people will kind of write this off as you know yeah we get it it's the first one but like dawn of the dead did it better or a lot of people kind of love when more spectacle got brought into it or it gets a little bigger um i i personally really stand by the fact that i think it was this one is just the one for me (laughs) like i just from you know the iconic opening scene of you know they're coming uh, for you barbara yeah they're coming to get you barbara um to you know first getting up in that house and first meeting the lead and just it it just propels from there and it's watching this movie it always feels like a blur because it goes by so fast and there's so much intensity in it and oh my god i i remember this movie just being intense like they're locked in that cabin and they're like arguing among each other. And wasn't this like a big deal at the time? Cause I had a black lead and everything. Wasn't well, it's that- a big deal for a lot of reasons because um, spoiler alert for whoever has not seen this classic. Um, the finale ends with the last surviving character is our lead. Who's a black man. And he sees the police pull up. And he leans out the window to basically wave to them and say, Hey, Hey, help, help. And they all go uh, something along the lines of he's got a gun or something and they shoot him to death. Uh, And it is just a chilling moment. um, Not only because of the political climate, but just being roped up in that and kind of seeing that it was a problem then. And that's a problem now. And whether or not George A. Romero admits this because he's been very diplomatic about saying that he wasn't trying to make any sort of cutting political statement with that. But a lot of people like to believe he did. Um, I believe that there was, that couldn't not be in his mind. Oh yeah. Um, Especially since just the simple choice of casting, um, a black lead to be the guy walking around telling everybody they're wrong and doing everything that alone was a bold choice that I think he had to kind of know, um, you know, no matter how progressive you are, you're, you're still going to be aware of the fact that this, you know, this isn't uh, common for your surroundings at that time. But yeah, I think it's, um, it really sums up. It's, it's such an iconic moment in the sixties and there's a lot of really fascinating behind the scenes stories. Um, it was like a relative of the production that they used like the, um, the car at the beginning. And like, there's, there's so many cool little fun facts about this movie that, uh, it, it was so scrapped together. And when you watch it, it just feels like such a cohesive whole, you know, um, which I think really, 
goes to show that this was just meant to be a classic. Um, oh yeah. And yeah, I think aside from that, I mean, yeah, it's, it's shock rate. The effects are great. The choice to use like, you know, real meat when they're like chewing on um, like body parts is just awesome. Oh, that's gotta um, be gross. Yeah. It's, it's a great film. You've seen this one, right? Yeah. Jeff? Yeah. It's been a hot minute, but I definitely want to pick up like the criterion release of this. Yeah. Um, Cause this is sadly one of those that's been in public domain. So every one of their brothers put out a release, but I'll trust the criterion for it. <laughs> yep. All right. So Josh, let's, let's get down to it. What's your number one. I think you'll be very happy with it because this is one that a lot of people love, including myself. Uh, the 19, I believe it's 82. I believe. Let me just double check. Yep, 1982's The Thing from John Carpenter. So good. Oh my God, that movie is... I just rewatched um, a good handful of it and oh my God, it's so good just the the creature effects alone are hauntingly disgusting and oh my god i love this movie it is so cool like the isolation um being because i saw so i hate to admit it i saw the 2011 prequel before i saw this one but i just love it made me appreciate the 2011 one but this one just obviously you can't go wrong with the quote-unquote original because this is a remake of the 1950s one but this one followed mm-hmm. apparently followed the book a lot closer or at least the original short story and kurt russell man that guy is a fucking badass first off you can never go wrong with having kurt russell in your lead oh and yeah if you're john carpenter you can never go wrong with having russell in your lead as your lead like four times um <laughs> but uh yeah this movie's fucking awesome uh the effects are just jaw-dropping and disgusting and nauseating in the most satisfying way oh yeah um and like- you know again as, as we talked about i love movies where people are just holed up in one place and stuck with something you know and this is one of the best examples of that oh yeah and like when they go to use the defibrillator on the guy and the guy's stomach just opens up and it clamps down on his oh jesus like the the creature effects and alone in this movie are what you need to watch it for it was really funny because i was uh telling uh mom about you know this list and everything she's like oh i should see the thing i'm just like not if you have a weak stomach because Oh God! Like the scene when <laughs> um, the dog is in the kennel and its face just like peels apart and tentacles start. Oh, the dog! The dog scene is one of the most uncomfortable scenes, but I love it so much. Oh um, my God! Give that fucking dog an Oscar because it, <laughs> it did such a good job portraying like the calmness and creepiness. Speaking of Oscars, this is just like between like Kurt Russell and Keith David. And then you have like this whole cast of just like fantastic people. Uh, everyone in this, this is just like the coolest like eighties character actors you could possibly get to pull in this movie. And everyone just sells their role so well. Um, I, I love the blood test scene where they're sort of like going through and it is so fucking suspenseful. And even though I know how it's going to end, that scene is like, just has me on the edge of my seat. And the fact that they can make me feel the same sort of tension there 
that they can in a scene where a dog is transforming into like a beast is really impressive. This whole, I honestly forgot that was Keith David for a second. And yeah, I, everyone does such a good job in this movie. It's so creepy. Uh, I, I love creature features and this is easily one of the best ones out there. It is. And I like that the creature isn't, defined by one image it's just yeah, sort of exactly. constantly mutating and morphing and the whole idea behind it is just really fucking cool how it's like trying to emulate things but it just can't it's just yeah it's just really really thrilling and and cold and eerie and the uh i think the the choice to kind of end it on this the weirdly ending. tense note was really cool the ending is one of the best endings to any movies i've seen mm-hmm. ever it's up there with the mist for yep. me at least which that's um, a movie no, that's i fair. got the ending spoiled for me but it's still that yeah oh, so good um all what's right your number so one, bud? my number one uh this is probably a very uh obnoxious film schooly answer but i can't help it i really try hard every time to like think if any movie competes with this for me but i genuinely mean from the bottom of my heart that i love this more than any other horror movie and that is the exorcist um i don't know what it is but as a person who is like firmly grounded in atheism my entire life i'm fascinated by uh religion and horror films hence why the aforementioned midnight mass was a big hit for me but i there's something about it that i find you know, characters whose faith are tested. I'm just very fascinated by that um, as an arc. And I, I I think that the the cast here is just fantastic. This is a movie that falls completely flat on its ass if you don't have a good cast. And from the girl playing Reagan to, uh, Lin, you know, Linda Blair, um, to her mother, to the priest. I mean, everyone in this just brings it 1000%. And this becomes more of a character study. And then by the time it becomes a horror movie, like a full-fledged horror movie at the end, you're just so invested in these characters. And it's this face-off between good and evil. And it just, it, you know, there's, I don't even need to talk about all the iconic horror mo- moments, like her, you know, crawling down the steps backwards. Oh, or, don't you talk. Know, uh, her head turning or the vomit or her cramming a crucifix between her legs. I mean, it's so much horrifying imagery. Yeah. So much horrifying imagery. And it's just this idea that, you know, this child, this symbol of innocence is just getting, you know, possessed is, is really one of the deepest, scariest moments. And I've obviously have never been and will never be a mother, but I feel the fear of it from this movie, you know, and, or even being a parent in general, um, I feel that. And I think that alone, you know, kind of um, going back to what I was saying about the shining, about how it kind of works so well because it harps on a real fear and kind of a fear of humans themselves. I think this is kind of that fear of, of having a child and having them, you know, um, corrupted by something that you have no control over is really scary. Um, and I think this is just such an emotionally powerful film. It has everything I love about horror. It has the slow burn. It has big iconic set pieces. It has, you know, this great character development. Um, 
the music, the tension, the, uh, a lot of it is the lack of music that gets me in this film. You just feel like you're in the room with these people while this poor girl is suffering. And it's just, yeah, it's, this movie will always chill me to my core and I absolutely adore it. I was uh, quote unquote forced to watch this with my dad. Cause he really wanted to show it to me at one point because he <laughs> loved this movie. Um, so I was not in a great mindset to watch it. Cause I was like, I don't fucking want to watch this movie. I'm not really in the mood for it. How um, old were you? I was 15, 16. Okay. So this is one I need to rewatch, especially because of how much of a classic this is. I definitely need to rewatch it. Um, mm. So I don't have too much attachment to it. But that fucking scene where she like spider walks down the stairs haunts me. That is like one of the most uncomfortable scenes I've ever watched. <laughs> um, I, I have yeah. a thing for body horror and the, I, like, I yeah. like it and I hate it at the same time. <laughs> That's one reason I like Malignant because I'm um, just like watching it, like walk backward. Oh, just, yeah, no. <laughs> it was, um, it was really cool. We went to this uh, film museum in New York and they actually had the prop where her head turns, like they, oh. the prop they used to have her head turn. And it was Terrifying. so cool. Um, yeah. It's, this movie is just burned into me as a person. It's just one of my, not just one of my favorite movies, but one of my, or one of my favorite horror movies, but one of my favorite like all time movies. It's just fantastic. Yeah. I'm curious to see what you would think of it on, on rewatch. Yeah. Now that I'm much more mature and much more, of, <laughs> you know, a film lover, it will be very good to rewatch it again. All right. So before we get into another quick conversation, uh, I'm going to burn through my honorable mentions just to mention some of these. Uh, this is uh, t- 10 is way too short of a horror list for me. So just this is more for me just covering my grounds for anyone who's like, how could you leave this out? Um, I would also like to mention. Uh, so my honorable mentions would be uh, Jordan Peele's back to back of Get Out and Us Horror of Dracula, which is the first Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing Dracula. Um done by hammer films uh ari aster's films midsummer and hereditary uh oh. which josh josh just loves midsummer so much um josh your number one is in here the thing uh texas chainsaw massacre the babadook um the descent it follows dr sleep and uh finally uh a film the only one i'm going to say something on uh night of the hunter which i think the only reason it's not on this list for me is because it's I don't know if I consider it like a true horror movie or if it's like a thriller or what, I don't know. Um, But this movie is another one that I watched. It's from 1955 with Robert Mitchum. I think you should watch this one, Josh, because this is one that uh, Guillermo del Toro has said is one of his most like inspiring movies. And I love that man. So it's got that dark fairy tale feel to it that I have mentioned before that I really love. So I definitely think that's one to check out. Um, but yeah, so, and if anyone hasn't checked that out, I think this is a really good, uh, that's a really good one to go watch, but yeah. Um, so now that we have our lists, I kind of want to kind of get into one thing I wanted to mention was, so yeah, I had said that from 1968 to 1981, uh, was like my broadest, like chunk of time of movies. And then the only one I had after 1981 on here was 2015. And I don't know what is it uh, or what it is about movies after like the nineties and or like the nineties and two thousands that kind of lost me or horror movies anyways. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. Like there, there's like, 
for some reason, when I think of nineties, I just think of like, you know, like I, I love scream, I guess that's, that's, that's the only nineties one. I can honestly, genuinely think honestly, of. that should be an honorable mention for me too. But I think aside from that, it was stuff like, I know what you did last summer and final destination. And like all these movies that like were fun to watch at sleepovers when you're a teenager. But like, other than that, like, I just don't, they never really had much more of a life for me. And I guess it's just that it was kind of the era of horror that was more like, we were still kind of reliving a lot of the slasher genre from the eighties. Cause I even don't really have much from the eighties in there aside from shining and evil dead, which was barely in the eighties. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is about that era that just kind of, or those couple decades that just kind of lose me in horror. Yeah, the 90s, I genuinely don't really think I can think of anything. Because I know Tremors is a 90s movie, but, you know, that's not, like you were saying, it's not like horror, horror. Um, yeah, and I'm sure there's some, you know, I'm sure there's some gems out there, which, you know, if anyone hears this and has recommendations, please let me know. Because I, you know, I wasn't old enough to be involved in the indie film scene, which I think is probably why. I'm loving a lot of modern horror over the last decade or so, just because it's been very like, you know, I've been able to dig and dig for small stuff, which is where I find a lot of my favorites. But um, yeah, I don't know. Unfortunately, um, it's a little bit, there was like a weird kind of, I had a weird blind spot there for, for horror. For me, it seems like horror is in a renaissance right now. Because it feels like between 90s and the 2000s, at least in my opinion, I was also really young during the 2000s, so I didn't really pay attention too much. Um, But it feels like horror wasn't really big. I feel like um, the torture porn was basically the only really big thing going for horror at the time. It's true. You had had Saw in the early 2000s and um, Hostel and shit like that. So yeah, it feels like those were like the only real like genres of horror going on and then it's like all of a sudden it feels like with the 2010s and everything um the paranormal movies are what started taking off and that's where we're kind of at in my at least my opinion that's where we're at right now in horror is reliving the paranormal stuff yeah sort of but i think now people are there's even like a resurgence of creature features and there's like there's hybrids like again like midnight masses both kind of like a religious horror, but also is a creature feature. Um, and then, yeah, we've just had a lot of, a lot of cool stuff lately over the last few years. Again, a few of the ones I mentioned, like it follows and the Babadook, like it's not last few years. This was early in the decade now, but of the 2010s, but you know, ever since then, I feel like there's been this constant push to kind of get creative horror out there. Um, again, I feel like people like Jordan Peele and I know you don't like him, but Ari Aster, are making these big waves and really drawing in these fans in the ways that, you know, people like Wes Craven and John Carpenter did um, back in the seventies and eighties. It seems like the type of horror that's really prominent right now is psychological and supernatural. Mm -hmm. So those seem to be at least to me, what's been really big with horror right now and the occasional slasher movie, like apparently fucking Halloween, you just can't kill it. (laughs) And there, there does seem to be this debate in horror too, where I feel like a lot of the sort of a 24 artsy horror movies, a lot of them have to do with trauma and um, kind of these emotional arcs that I feel like for, 
kind of loses some people. Um, Me. I personally love that stuff. <laughs> That's fair. I personally love that stuff, but I feel like for some people, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well. Um, there's also like, I mean, it depends on what your definition of scary and horror are. Again, the movies we've listed, I think are pretty vastly different um, for the most part. A lot of them have like little threads of similarity, but I think for the most part, we've listed a pretty varying degree of films and i mean we've only we only had two crossovers on our list yeah and it it goes to show how far these like how and that's why i had so many honorable mentions is it just i feel like it's such a large genre and it's been dissected over years and years and years it kind of feels like you know like talking about horror back in like the 50s was like talking about like punk music in the seventies, you were like, yeah, you have these bands, you know, and like, that's it. But then like, now you try talking about punk or metal or something. And it's like a whole other discussion because there's thousands yep. and they're all very different. Um, they all and, take from different subgenres and bring them into their own. Yeah. And you don't go to them all for the same thing, you know, which I think defines what we, what kind of horror movies appeal to us. Um, I think for me, I've always been someone who, I'm scared by things because of the more emotional human implications of something being scary. And that's why the more grounded stuff appeals to me a lot of times grounded emotionally anyways, or thematically. Yeah. Otherwise I like it really heightened and crazy, but um, like yeah, horror? yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, horror is a genre that you can go to, to have fun, or you can go to, to be miserable. It all depends on, you yeah, know, like Midsummer. how they approach me miserable. it. It makes me miserable and I love it. Uh, <laughs> and I hated it. <laughs> um, but I think, I think that's a good example of one of the movies I'm talking about where like some people consider it a modern horror masterpiece and others consider it a pile um, of trash. Just, I, th- I don't think that's true. I don't think that's fair. I think because even you were complimenting the cinematography and some of the craft in that movie. So calling it a pile of trash is a little unfair. You you could call it you could call it just not for you. <laughs> you can call it even if you want to call it not good. I'll take it. But I don't think it's trash. It's trash. <laughs> um, all right. So feel free to comment, guys. <laughs> trash or no trash. <laughs> how wrong is josh or how right is josh uh but yeah i'm I'm fascinated by movies like that that are able to polarize people so much um even movies like the witch and the babadook were like that where there were people like me who like i was like oh my god fucking horror's back let's do it and there's other people who are like i don't even think this classifies as horror and while that hurts my stomach to hear (laughs) i can kind of get what they're saying because of what they're particularly looking for in horror it all depends on what your definition is of scary and what your definition is of horror. Give me um, some monsters. So baby. I, I get where people are coming from. I personally like to feel tense and on edge. I like to be like, I like my brain to be slowly unraveled before the movie utterly crushes me. <laughs> that's why, that's my type of horror. But, oh yeah. Uh, not everybody likes that. And that's no. fair. Uh, but no, at, no, at the end of the day, <laughs> I can appreciate just letting go and having a fun creature feature as well. Yeah, I just creature features are where it's at for me. I just love the monster <laughs> designs, the special effects to use. That's one thing I hate about modern day is it's all done like CG. So that's why a lot of the movies I listed were like from like the you know from the fifties all the way up into the early two thousands when mm-hmm. practical was still used for the creature designs and stuff. You know, get it for monsters. It's you know 
cities destroying monsters. That's hard nowadays, but you yeah. know, that's, I just love that kind of stuff. It just, I love seeing creatures cause they're like unnatural. And that's what I feel is the scariest is they just don't look like they belong in this world. Mm-hmm. And that's what I get the scariness from or their abominations totally created by man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a fun conversation. Yeah. I really, this is a, I think it's, it's funny. Cause I think you had a lot more to say about horror than you actually thought. Uh, <laughs> because I, I don't think you realize that like even your favorite franchise of all time, Godzilla started in As horror, a horror, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think you only left this out on a technicality. Otherwise we all know that would be your number one. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it it I would be a fair choice. I would have put some predator movies on there too. Cause those movies are amazing. I love the predator movie. Okay. I haven't seen the fourth one, but I, cause I heard that one was trash. <laughs> so yeah, probably and right up there with midsummer. Am I right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Never compare predator. Four <laughs> <laughs> okay. One's um, in a black on bag, note. one's in a gold bag. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, on that note, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our Halloween special. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and we're hoping to do more stuff like this soon. Um, like I said, we're going to be kind of compiling one big mega episode, um, probably be like a, t- a three-hour two-parter, yeah. ranking all of our bonds, talking about all the bonds, and then uh, reviewing No Time to Die. Uh or vice versa, we'll be doing that the other way around. And then um, after that, we are going to wrap up the year and the first season of the podcast with uh, a Matrix binge, which will be really fun. Nice. Um, but leading up to Matrix Resurrections. I think that's what they're calling it, right? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. All the R titles lose me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, stay tuned for that. And we look forward to seeing you guys then and geeking out about more cool shit uh until then have a very spoopy halloween and we will talk to you next time get spoopy people bye